preseason timeout. You guys don't recognize that banner. The banner hangs in the, in the uh, connection area over there. And, uh, but it looks a little different than it did in January. The big red preseason wasn't there before. And today is a kickoff of our preseason timeout. And our theme for 2012 has been, um, for our prayer time for 2012, has been a timeout. A time to hear from God. And we took a, a week in January and we had a timeout where we kind of suspended all things. And it's why we don't have class this Wednesday. We suspended things. We dedicated special time to God. We have a prayer calendar, which we had a seven-day prayer calendar. Right now we have a three-day prayer calendar that I hope by the end of today is completely filled so that we're praying every hour for, for our lives and for our church. And we did that, and we incorporated it with fasting. And so for a lot of you, you were introduced to the Daniel fast for the first time. And some of us fasted for a week. Some of us fasted for a month. And a number of us, almost the whole staff, fasted for a month, um, according to Daniel fast. And, and we just sought God's, God's um, voice. We wanted to hear what God had to say. There's a lot of times in our Christian walk, we, we're running really fast. We just don't get we're running the wrong direction. Uh, and that's true. We're, we think we're running the right way, but we're really running the wrong direction. And so the time out is a time to hear from God to make sure we're going in the right direction. See, because even if you're a couple of degrees off, eventually you end up in the wrong place. And so we want to make sure we're running in the right direction. So we're having the preseason time out because in the church calendar world and in your world, um, summer is kind of uh, vacation time. You know, people run to the lake, they run to wherever, they go on vacations, and I understand that. Wisconsin winters aren't so much fun, and, and summer the kids are off of school. And so we do that stuff. But coming into fall now, um, it is preseason, the last couple weeks, before kind of the big game starts, especially for you parents who have kids in school. You know, vacations are coming to an end. School is starting. And the, the whole rigmarole kind of starts back up again. Our normal um, all-year-round summer our church activities start. In the summer we do something a little different um, for our kids especially and adults and on Wednesday nights. And so we kind of get back to our, the normal grind for us. So we're kind of in that preseason, kind of like the Packers right now. But we're in the preseason. We're coming up to, to, uh, to opening day. And um, this time out that we're going to take for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. And if you're visiting, you say, oh, it's new to me. But if you're part of the church, we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks. Um, at this time out for the next three days is an opportunity to make sure that we're really on track with our spiritual lives. So Monday through Wednesday, what we want to do is we want to set aside special time for reflection and for discovery, spiritual discovery, and for commitments and for, for recommitments. So we're, we're kind of choosing, and whether you're here because you're a regular part of the church or you're visiting today because we have a, a picnic afterwards, you can do this. Set aside these three days and just set a few things aside that you would normally do in order to focus on the things that are most important, which is your spiritual life. So we're going to set a time aside for prayer. And we're, but, but primarily what we're going to do in prayer is we're going to ask God to help us to honestly evaluate our spiritual lives. We're going to... We're going to um, Talk about that in the bulk of the heart of what I'm going to preach about today is, is asking God to help us to honestly evaluate our spiritual lives. So we're going to pray, and we're also going to encourage you to fast. And, you know, fasting is a way to intensify your prayer life. It intensifies by, we, we give up certain foods, maybe all foods or certain activities, in order to focus more attention on our spiritual life and spend extra time in, in prayer. And I said in Jan January we did the Daniel fast, which was basically fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, drank water, nothing else. Uh, I hate to admit it, but I felt great as much as I missed 
a Culver's cheeseburger. I really did. I felt really good, and I could say to myself, why don't you just eat like that all the time? And it's because I like Culver's cheeseburgers, and, and especially deep-fried cheese curds from Culver's, <laughs> which are really not good for you. But, um, but, you know, some of you did that Daniel fast, and it worked really good because I'd called us as a church to fasting the two prior years, the two Januarys before that, with, with what I could tell is very little participation. And I really felt the Lord show me that, that, that people, you know, as a group, we didn't really have a, an understanding of fasting. So we did the Daniel fast, which was easier to grasp. And man, you guys jumped on board. I had people share with me that it was revolutionary in your spiritual life. And so this time you can do that. Um, or I'm going to ask you to, or challenge some of you to take a step up and join me. I'm going to just do a three-day fast, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, primarily drinking water. And this is kind of something I do, that if my stomach really starts going crazy, because as you know, I'm a little high-strung, and uh, you know the acid starts pumping, I'll usually drink a little bit of like V8 juice, and it kind of just calms my, the acid down in my stomach. Um, and so for three days of fasting and prayer. And so I challenge you to do something, do a day. Do lunch if you've never fasted lunch and uh, start doing something and join with us then in those three days of, of, of just kind of a time out, time to hear from God. And then Wednesday night here at 6.30, our normal Wednesday night time, we're going to come together. We're going to share just informally kind of what God's been doing over this last three days. And then we're going to go out and break the fast. And you don't have to have fasted to join us. And we're going to go to Culver's because I like cheeseburgers. And, uh, <laughs> um, and we're going to break the fast. And so that'll be at, you know, we'll be eating by 7.30 um, on Wednesday night. And so that's kind of the, the, the timeout framework. That's the, the logistics of it. But I want to, you know, talk about the heart of it today. You know, and so the idea is before the fall season begins... What I want us to do, and I feel the Lord really wants us to do, is to take a time out and make sure that we are honestly on track with Jesus as we should be. And you say, well, I've been serving God for a long time. I don't need to do that. I want to tell you something, church. Um, Doing honest and serious spiritual evaluation is incredibly important. Because when we do honest, serious, spiritual evaluation, we almost always, I would say always, find out that there's some corrections God wants to make in our life. When God corrects us, it's not because He's mad at us. It's exactly the opposite. It's because He loves us. And He wants to guide us in the paths of righteousness. That's what Psalm 23 says. He guides us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And that's what he's doing in correcting us, disciplining us, as he's pointing things out, as he's correcting us in the paths of righteousness so we walk in the blessing of the Lord. We walk in his fullness and in his presence. You see, when we do serious, honest evaluation, and it's hard to do seriously honest evaluation when we're so stinking busy and everything's so noisy that God, we can't even hear his voice. But when we slow down, we take a time out, and we, we listen A lot of times we find that things aren't exactly as they should be, and God lovingly empowers us then to make a correction. So to kind of show you how this works or how it can work, I want to to share with you um, a really dramatic story about why why honest evaluation is necessary from a guy who's pretty famous, and most of you have probably all heard of him, who's ever heard of a kind of unknown guy named John Wesley. Okay, Some of you haven't. John Wesley is one of the most famous figures in church history. He's the founder of the United Methodist Church. Um, which, you know, it's kind of funny because as, as history goes on, and, and we're people who are with a, you're here because you have a passion for God or you wouldn't be in a church like this. That's just the honest truth. If you didn't have a real hunger for God, you wouldn't be here today. 
There's all kinds of places you can sit that won't challenge you at all. And, you know, I was part of one of those for years. You, there's, you know, and you'll sit there. But you're here today because you have a passion for God. There's maybe been no man in history with a greater passion for God than John Wesley. He's the guy who started the Methodist Church, him and his brother Charles, and who many of your hymns we sing are written by them, um, that their plan was to put a church everywhere in the world. There was a post office. They were the most successful. They're still to this day probably the most successful church planting evangelistic movement in the history of the world. But what happens, like all organizations, is they eventually drift. The founders die. They drift from where they were, and they kind of drift into, into complacency and, and uh, not being critical, but that's kind of where the organization is as a whole. So God raises up something new. Don't be prideful because he raises up something new, and then we drift into, some, into complacency, and he raises up something new again because he's trying to say, be serious. And so John Wesley, I want to talk about him today, and, and how I want to do this is I want to just read um, an excerpt from a guy named Ken Hughes, his book, on the, the, a commentary in the Gospel of Mark, where he talks about John Wesley. This is what he says. So I'm going to read a page and a half. So it says, John Wesley was born in 1703. We're looking for a spiritual journey in this. He was a 15th child of Samuel Wesley, the rector of Epsworth, and his wife, Susanna. What a good name. Just a little an A instead of an E. He enjoyed a good upbringing under his unusually talented and dedicated mother and went on to a brilliant career at Charterhouse in Oxford when he was elected fellow of Lincoln College in 1726. Now again, he was 23 when that happened to him. He's brilliant. There he served as a double professor of Greek and logic. And after serving on his father's curate on two occasions, he was ordained a priest in the Church of England in 1728. Returning to Oxford, he joined a group of undergraduates led by his brother Charles and the later-to-be great evangelist George Whitfield. You ever heard of him? Incredibly influential man in the kingdom of God. And a group, of dedic- the group dedicated to building a holy life. And it was critically or um, disparagingly, disparagingly nicknamed by the other Oxonians, the people at Oxford, the Holy Club. They walked around like that, oh, you're part of the Holy Club. They were, they'd laugh at him when they would say it. So Wesley was not yet truly converted, but understand, he thought he was. He believed he was completely right with God. Though he was not yet truly converted, he met with these men for prayer, for the study of the Greek New Testament and, the devotional, and devotional exercises. He set aside an hour each day for private prayer and reflection. He took the sacraments of Holy Communion each week, and he set himself to conquer every sin. He fasted twice a week, visited prisons, and assisted the poor and the sick. Doing all this helped him to imagine he was a Christian. In 1735, still unconverted, he accepted an invitation from the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel to become a missionary to the American Indians in Georgia. 1735, pre-revolutionary war. It was a great fiasco. He utterly failed as a missionary, undergoing miserable conflicts with his colleagues and almost dying of disease. When he returned to England, he wrote, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? His mission experience taught him the wickedness and the waywardness of his own heart. However, not all was not lost. Because of his travels abroad, aboard the ship, he met some German Moravian Christians whose simple faith made a great impression on him. When he returned to London, he sought out one of their leaders. Through a series of conversations, to quote Wesley's own words, he was clearly convinced of unbelief, of the want of his faith, whereby alone we are saved. Finally, it was May 24, 1738, 
And as Wesley randomly opened his Bible, he read that beautiful statement which in nine words condensed the progress of a spiritual pilgrimage. He read this, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Then came evening. And the famous statement in his journal tells the story. In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Albertsgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle of the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Well, the rest of the story is well-known history. Wesley became a dynamo. He he preached in St. Mary's in Oxford. He preached in the churches. He preached in the mines. He preached in the fields and on, on the streets. He preached on horseback. He even preached on his father's tombstone. John Wesley didn't tire. John Wesley preached 42,000 sermons. He averaged 4,500 miles a year on horseback. He rode 60 to 70 miles a day on horseback and preached three sermons a day on average. When he was 83, he wrote in his diary, I am a wonder to myself. I am never tired, either with preaching, writing, or traveling. As we all know, the church has never been the same. Wesley's disciples, including Francis Asbury, were mighty powers in evangelizing England and frontier America. Read his life and the lives of his circuit riders, and you will find chronicled the most amazing love for Christ and a tenacious love for lost souls. Their lives are among the great glories of the church universal. Now you say, all right, so what? What does John Wesley have to do with me? Well, John Wesley's story and his his journey has something for us, and I think something that is incredibly profound and something that I honestly believe once we come into the church world, we hardly ever consider. We're so used to telling ourselves we finally found it that we hardly ever consider, and it's this. That it is possible to do a lot of religious stuff. It is possible to attend Portview Church every single week. It is possible to hold high religious positions. I'm a whatever, fill in the blank, in the church world. Pastor, missionary, deacon, missionette coordinator, missionette leader, royal ranger leader, whatever, fill in the blank, youth leader. It is possible to hold some high positions, think you're spiritually okay, and not be on track with Jesus. And in fact, not even really know Jesus. It's completely possible. And I want to tell you something, that's a sobering thought. That's very sobering to me. I was talking with Josh about this the other morning, and I said, I ask the Lord that all the time. I say, God, am I really right? It's not because I don't trust that I I know the Lord, that I I want to make sure that I don't get to the end and figure out I really was wrong. I want to know I really understand His Word. Now here's the reality. Jesus, in Scripture dealt with this all the time. He dealt with a man, we're going to look at today, at a a man in the exact same situation as Wesley found himself in. And I think that millions of people really find themselves in today if they do honest evaluation. He met this guy who was a scribe. And a scribe is a person, he's a religious leader, who's an expert in the legal matters of the law of God in the scriptures. 
And he, the scribe had been listening to Jesus as Jesus was, was correcting a different group of religious leaders who thought that they were right and they were trying to tell Jesus he was wrong about theology and re- Jesus basically just fillets them and shows them how they're wrong and they misunderstand the scriptures. And the scribe is listening on to what's going on and he was so impressed by what Jesus said that he spouts up and he asks Jesus a question. And I want us to look at that question today. So grab your Bibles if you would and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 12. Starting in verse 28. Mark chapter 12. Verse 28. It says, And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. This is the scribe Jesus is going to talk about. They're arguing. Remember, Jesus is arguing with these guys uh, about the resurrection is what he's arguing with them about. Um, They're arguing with him. And recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? So, did you hear the verse I read? Thank you. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now I want us to notice something about this man. Let's think about him. First of all, he was a religious leader. Right? He's a scribe. He's obviously involved in a religious lifestyle because his occupation is studying and understanding and explaining the law of God. The law meaning the scriptures, not meaning civil law, religious law. Um, he believed in all in his heart, completely believed without exception that he was perfectly right and fine spiritually. And yet when he comes to Jesus and Jesus speaks to him, Jesus says this about the guy. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. The very verse that, that got Wesley's attention thousands of years later. You know, do we understand what Jesus is saying here? He's telling him that he's close to being in the kingdom of God, but he's not quite there yet. You know, he may really be religious and he really may be involved in things in the church world, but he's not yet in the kingdom of God. He's close to being in, but he's not there yet. He's like John Wesley that we read about in his pre-conversion day, involved in all these various religious activities, absorbed in religion, religion, absorbed in pursuits of God, but really not being in a right relationship with God, even though both men had years of religious training and had years of spiritual pursuit, but they weren't in the kingdom yet. Church, this is what I want us to be focusing on during the time out that we're taking for the next couple of days. I want us to ask God to help us. I want to ask God to help me. To see myself and for you to see yourselves honestly. Because this is just too important to simply gloss over and settle for religious um, busyness instead of really finding out and experiencing genuine relationship with God. And I want to challenge every single one of you, starting with me, to not ignore this time of self-examination. Not ignore it just because you have been going to church for a long time and you really think, I got the right titles, I'm really doing all right. You know, and you say, well, Pastor Mark, you tell me to be unsure of my salvation? Not at all. I'm saying, be sure of your salvation. Take time for self-examination this, these next three days. Be like John Wesley. Be like the scribe. Who when they were, when they did honest evaluation, even though they were involved in ministry and missions and all this stuff, they came to a time they realized, you know what? I'm not really there yet. And maybe it won't come to a place of saying, I'm not in the kingdom yet, 
But you can say, I'm not really going the right way in the kingdom. I'm not going the way God wants me to go. And you say, well, how do I really do, how do I do the self-examination? Well, the thing that I think that we need to be asking ourselves over this next three days is do I really live out what Jesus said in this text? Do I really live out what he called the foremost commandment? Is that really the core of my life? Do I really, do you really love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength? And I mean really. Do you really? Or you just come to church? You know, I don't think this verse is intended to get us to somehow dissect our life and inspect different dimensions of ourselves and say, well, I think, Pastor Mark, I love the Lord with my, with my heart, but not with my soul. That's not what it's about. Rather, this is asking us to evaluate if we love Him. If we put Him first in the totality of our living. Is the Lord really the, the, to, the total? Of, is He completely, totally our first and our only real love? That's the question. That's what Jesus said it was all about. Because that is what Scripture says it is to be in a right relationship with God. That you love Him and Him alone. That He is your first and your only real love. You see, that's what God is, is really speaking about here in this text. A relationship where He is the core and everything else, and I mean everything else, where your son going off to the military, everything else, family and career and enjoyments, are the peripheral. They're the things on the outside. Those things that are on the outside that orbit around the core. And the core is the love relationship with God, and everything else is on the periphery. And they're just, they're just like planets orbiting. They're important, but they're not the core. And friends, I believe that God takes this way more seriously than we usually do. I think we sometimes think we can just add Jesus onto our already existing lives. And think of it this way, as just another object in the orbit around us. One of many important things, and, and we're the center, and, and just add Jesus as another orbiting um, world around the core, and, and he's out there as one of the important things. Here's family, here's work, here's Jesus. But I want to tell you something, that is absolutely not what the scriptures communicate to us. You see, sadly, friends, and I, you know me, I don't run other things down, I never do other churches and stuff, but I do think that much of what the church world has been communicating to us is something like, well, just come to Jesus. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll get you a free pass to heaven, and he'll make your life a big party filled with with fun and with blessings. And the message is, as you remain at the center, and you let Jesus be one of those things that orbits around you. He's important. He's a big big planet around around you, you, the sun. But friends, you need to understand something today in our self-evaluation. That scripture never communicates that message to us. Jesus says it's all about loving God totally. Where he becomes the center, he becomes the core of everything, and that requires a reversal of who is Lord of our lives, who is at the center and who is in the orbit. It requires a changing of that. And when we change that, our actions prove it to be true. You see, friends, we cannot truthfully say that we love God totally and still make excuses for activities, and lifestyles, 
and sins and actions and attitudes and omissions that we know are contrary to his ways. That's how we kind of figure out, are we, is he really the core? God says it's all about loving him. In the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel expresses this in a way, and I, I want to bring this up because I think it's a way that will help to make it clear how serious this really is. He explains that this way, that God, he says, will not share us with other lovers. He uses the picture of marriage and fidelity to get us to understand the type of devoted relationship that he expects from those who say they are his. And, friends, the relationship that he wants you and I to experience. This marriage, faithful union of, of, of exclusivity. And he expresses that when we, when he expresses that when we share our affections or our attention or our allegiances with anyone or anything else, Ezekiel says it's like this. It's like we're having an affair on God. That's why in Ezekiel chapter 16, God says that when his people worship false gods, listen how he describes it. He says, you give gifts to all your other lovers. He says, when, you have, when, when, I'm, not the, when I'm not the son in the middle, and you, I'm just one of the orbits on the outside, he said, it's like you're committing adultery. He says, the, 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 the unified relationship we're supposed to have is broken. You see, friends... Following Jesus, loving him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength is really about loving him alone and solely and not having other lovers or having other gods. Now, I know that's a different message than you tend to hear on Christian TV and, uh, you know, from Christian preachers and, and maybe from other pulpits. I don't know. But it's the message from God to us in his word. And I felt compelled today to say, you know what, let's just, let's just say it straight. I hope I always do, but just felt very compelled today to let's just say it straight the way God says it so that when we do this honest evaluation over the next couple of days, we can honestly say, God, is that where I'm really at? And if not, in love, we can say, God, help me to get on course. Friends, this is why in the Gospel of Luke it says something. You know, so many times if, if people had the opportunity, they would take a knife and they would cut out certain sections of Scripture because it just doesn't line up with what we hear. That just, oh, it's, just all, it's all fun and games. In the Gospel of Luke, it says one of the hardest things in the entire Bible. It says, if you want to be my disciple, it says, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters. Now, obviously, we know from the rest of Scripture that we're to love our fathers and mothers. Matter of fact, the Bible says we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus just said that in the verses we read. So he doesn't mean we should hate our relatives. Sorry for any of those who are using that to say, I have a reason to hate my mother-in-law. You know, no, it's not what he's saying at all. Rather, he's saying this. This is, is showing us that our love, our allegiance to the Lord, to Jesus Christ, must be so proportionately greater that it seems like we love him and in comparison hate other, everybody else. That he really is our core and he is our everything. And everything else and everyone else is peripheral. They're objects that orbit on the outskirts of our devotions. That he's the center and everything else is just in orbit around him. And that's what I really want each of us to pray about this week. To talk to God about this week. Saying, God, am I really all in? Or am I just, am I just uh, John Wesley? 
who's going through the motions. If I just described going through the motions, and if I was to talk to you today, God, you would say, you're really close, but you're not quite there. You know, do I understand that a real love life with Jesus really begins with the death to myself? Because that's where it begins, church. That my old self is gone. And where, like the Apostle Paul, I consider all the accomplishments and all the possessions of the days before coming in contact with Jesus, as he said, to be like garbage. He said they're like refuse in comparison to really knowing Jesus in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Do I really understand that Jesus has something so much better than anything the world can offer, but I have to give up this world to find it? Do I really understand that? You know, let's all be honest this week and spend some time asking ourselves, where am I really at in my walk with God? Do I really love God with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, or do I have other lovers that compete for first place in my life with Him? And I understand these are hard questions. But these are the questions that really matter in this life because they are the ones that determine where we spend the rest of our eternal life. And friends, these are the ones that determine if you will really experience full life in God through Jesus Christ today. The kind of life that I want and I believe you want. The kind of life that that brings you to the place where you can joyfully say, take the world and give me Jesus. That kind of a life. So friends, on this three-day timeout, three days, let's take three days for, for three things, three days for serious personal reflection. And we ask, is God really my core? Is God really my first love? Take three days for serious commitment to your spiritual life. So you know what? Take a step forward and do something you're not used to doing. Take some time for fasting and give some time just to be with Jesus. Give up something. You know what? The TV show you watch won't go off the air if you don't watch it. Give something up. The overtime that you're not, that you're not forced to work. And spend some time with Jesus. So three days also for serious prayer, for serious problems. Some of you need healing, and you need to be serious about your praying for it. Some of you need answers. You need to be serious about asking God about it instead of asking every other person in the church. You need to ask God about it. We need to be serious about the serious mess our nation is in. I put a prayer guide out there that kind of gives you some direction if you want some scriptures and some prayer points. And the last third, the third day, is about praying for our nation. Our nation's a mess. No one else is going to fix it. God's the only one. We need to be serious in prayer to pray for this mess that we as people have got this nation in. And then you know what? Sign up on that prayer calendar. Take an hour slot and fill this so that so from morning till evening, three days in a row, this church is storming the gates of heaven with our prayers and saying, God, we're serious about this. We wanna we wanna we wanna learn, God. We wanna go, we wanna have our hearts open and exposed before you. God, just because we've been doing this for years and years, and we can we can just skip out of everything else because we're so hardened to the fact that God really has something more for us, that we can just live our lives so completely devoid of the presence of God and not even know it. God, expose that this week. If we've been living that way for so long, God, expose it this week. Now I want to do something I've never done before in 22 years of pastoring. When I wake up in the morning, I, um, I don't know about you, but I'm in like this little twilight zone time. And 
and I, you know, you don't control what you think about when you sleep, but almost every morning I wake up, I'm thinking about a sermon. I'm thinking about something I feel God wants to do. I'm thinking about something he's saying. And I don't know about you, but in that twilight time, I'm like, if I could somehow record my thoughts, they'd be the best sermons I ever preached in my life. And I'm serious. I'm like, that's phenomenal, God. But then when I try to get up and write it down, it, as fast as I can write, it seems to slip away that fast. And I try to lay there, and Suzanne knows she'll say, what are you thinking about? I'm like, shh. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be able to think about it. I'm trying to be able to put it down. And then I, I get up, and she doesn't talk to me. I get up, and I get a, p- a pad of paper, and I write it down. And I want to read you something. It's not complete. It's not polished. Matter of fact, it's scribbled and so small, I can barely read it. And I had no intention of reading this today, but in the pre-service prayer time, I felt I should read this, and I, I went and I, I got it out. And I want to read this to you, and it's, you know, it's, John, if you're here, it's written on the front and back of your notepads from your company, you know, scribbled on these things. As I was trying to write down what I felt God was saying about today, and which I wrote before I ever wrote this sermon, but, but I felt God was trying to communicate, and I thought, you know what, this morning I was praying, I thought, I didn't plan on sharing that, but I just felt compelled that I need to, to share this, because I think it really gives us a starting point. Is I wrote on top, are you really all in? Are you really all in? It says, you really realize, if you, let me start here, you really realize that you are utterly, you're, I should say this, you know you're really all in. You know you're really on the right path when? You really realize that you are utterly guilty and lost before God because you are a sinner. You, are fine, you finally understand that no self-effort, no good works, no religious involvement, no sacrifice can rescue you. You're bound for destruction, and you know it. You're helpless. So then when you hear that God wants to re- rescue you from this terminal condition, that his son wants to, take, to, to trade places with you, that he will take upon himself your guilt and put upon you his righteousness, that he will declare you not guilty, not because you deserve it, but because he loves you, then you drop everything. You leave everything behind and run to Jesus and cling to him like a drowning man clinging to a life preserver that was thrown to him in a raging sea. You cling on and you refuse to let go because you know he is your only hope. You, your only rescue, your only salvation. It's why in Jesus' ministry, so many notorious sinners followed him. They knew they were utterly guilty. They knew they were utterly lost before God. So when the shocking news came to them that there was still a ray of hope for them, they abandoned everything and clung to Jesus. But the religious crowd didn't cling to Jesus. They crucified him. Why? Because they thought they were good enough on their own. They believed that their hard work, that their effort, that their religion was good enough because they didn't really believe they were guilty. They didn't really believe they were sinners. They didn't really believe they were headed for destruction. But they were, and Jesus said so. The blind leading the blind, both falling into a pit of destruction, Jesus said. It all starts with believing You are really a sinner, bound for destruction and helpless, and then crying out for the only hope that there is. Friends, that's what it's all about. You say, man, that ain't feel good, fill the church with happy people kind of preaching, Pastor Mark. 
That's the kind of preaching that John Wesley started to do. He was known as a, as a holiness preacher. There's a kind of preaching that John Wesley started to do after, and that didn't come from John Wesley, it didn't come from anything he wrote, after he recognized that his religion had failed and he did Jesus. And he recognized he was utterly lost. He clung on to Jesus because Jesus offered him salvation. And friends, that's what I hope that every single one of us evaluates and thinks about this week. Because you and I have been raised in a society that tells us we're all all right. We're not. We're not spiritually. I don't care what anybody says. And I don't care what I say. You know why I know it's not true? Because of the book. So we've all sinned. It's all sinned. But he says there's an answer. And I want God to speak to our hearts in these next three days. Convince us. Convince me, God, that you're my first love. That's what I want. Isn't that what you want for yourself? I believe that's what you want for yourself. Or you'd be in a place that makes it simple and easy and just tells you you're all right, blind leading the blind, and both falling in a pit. I want to pray with you this morning. Would you just bow your heads? I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for me this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask you this. I ask you over these next days, that even these moments right now, that you would help us to honestly see ourselves for what we are. That if we know you honestly, that we are simply sinners saved by grace. God, if we are blinded in thinking that church attendance and and involvement in ministry somehow makes us right before you, I pray you would expose that lie and you would smash it to pieces and we'd understand there's only one way to come to know you and that's by just clinging to you. Not that we deserve it, but clinging to you where you become the core, the center, and everything else is just in orbit in the peripheral around it. God, help us as your children to experience real life in you instead of settling for the distant second place that this world offers. God, if we think that big salaries and and trips and nice homes and vacation properties and and activities and, and catching big fish at a men's tournament, a men's weekend, is real life, God, expose the lie to us because none of it is. It's all just stuff. And we want the real. We want to walk in your holiness and your presence and your grace. God, discipline us. So we desire to live lives that honor you, desire to rid ourselves of compromise and sin. And God, we really walk in newness of life. Because that that great commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength is just our core. We rest. We rest in that. Not in self-effort. We rest in you.